We've been going on for uh, the past few weeks now, and this series, The Journey, is loosely uh, based off of a book that I recently wrote called Journey into a Greater Concern. Week one and two, we looked at a character by the name of Jacob. Last week in week three, we looked at kind of an overview of some characters in the book of Genesis that we find, uh, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And this week, we're going to be focusing in on a character by the name of Joseph. He takes up like the back third of the book of Genesis, Genesis 37 through 50. Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob, and he was actually Jacob's favorite son. Now, for those of you who grew up in faith, who grew up in church, you probably have a little bit of familiarity with this story of Joseph. For those of you who are new to this whole thing, or maybe you walked away from faith for a while, and now you're kind of trying to figure it out again, you might be saying, who exactly is Joseph? What is his story? And I want us to pull from a few different things in the story, the life of Joseph today. But before we do that, I just want to give you a brief bio, a brief summary of his life so we all have an idea of who we're talking about. You good? Good? We can follow along? Okay, here's, here's the brief little biography or summary of the life of Joseph. So as I said, Jacob had 12 sons. He had some sons with his wife Leah. He had some sons with his, two of his maidservants, different time, different place. And then the wife that he loved the most, Rachel, uh, she, she didn't have any. And then finally she had his, her firstborn son, Joseph. And Jacob was elated. His favorite wife just had a son. And since it's his favorite wife and he's the oldest, of, the oldest son of his favorite wife, it's his, now his favorite son. So Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. He ended up having another son with Rachel as well by the name of Benjamin. But Joseph, I mean, Jacob just loved Joseph. He got him this special coat, this coat of many colors. And uh, some of you may be familiar with Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat and all of those wonderful things. But anyways, Jacob got Joseph this, this coat and his brothers were jealous of him. They were like, why do you get to be dad's favorite? And they didn't like that he was the father's favorite. And then uh, they, they would get upset with him. He was maybe, maybe, we don't know this for sure, but if you read into the story a little bit, he was maybe a little bit of a braggart, maybe a little bit of a tattletale at times. And then at one point in time, he has this dream that one day his brothers will bow down to him, and he feels the need to tell them that, like that's a good idea. Uh, for those of you who have siblings, you know that's probably not a good idea to go to them, hey, I had a dream that one day you're going to bow down to me. It's probably not going to be received very well. And so he tells his brothers, hey, one day you're going to bow down to me and worship me. And so instead of his brothers having a sane response or a response of let's just play a prank on him or get back at him or just distance ourselves from him for a while, they decide, oh, let's sell him into slavery. Like, What? This is, this is your retaliation plan for being jealous of your brother? And tell, this is, this is what, so Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. Then as he's journeying along with the Ishmaelites, he ends up uh, under an Egyptian official by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar loves Joseph. He thinks Joseph's fantastic. He elevates Joseph within his house. He's, he gives him responsibility. But there's somebody else in Potiphar's house who also really liked Joseph. And that would be Potiphar's wife. She more than liked Joseph. She wanted to have a good time with Joseph, if you know what I mean. These biblical stories get crazy, folks. And so she decided, hey, let's have some fun together, Joseph. And Joseph's like, no, 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 no. I'm not that kind of guy. Not having it. So Joseph runs away from Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife grabs a piece of his clothing. She screams. And Potiphar's house officials and Potiphar believe Potiphar's wife when she says, oh, Joseph tried to take advantage of me. So Joseph ends up in prison. 
So this man was sold into slavery. Then he ends up in prison for something that he didn't do. And while he's in prison, of course, the people there like him. Because it seems where everywhere, anywhere Joseph goes, people like him with the exception of his brothers. And he's elevated in the prison guard. He has some responsibility there to oversee some things. And eventually, a cupbearer from Pharaoh and a baker from Pharaoh end up in prison. And they have some dreams. And they don't know what their dreams mean. And Joseph has this ability from God to interpret dreams. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, good news. Your dream means that you are actually going to be restored to your position as a cupbearer in Pharaoh's kingdom. He's like, oh, that's great news. Then he says to the baker, oh, your dream, you're going to be hung and die. That's, that's your dream, Mr. Baker. And the baker at this point in time is probably thinking, I would have rather not asked what my dream was about. And, of course, that comes to happen for both of them. The cupbearer is restored, and the baker, eh, things didn't end so well for him. But the cupbearer, Joseph says to him, hey, by the way, when you're restored to your position, can you please remember me and let Pharaoh know about me? And the cupbearer's like, sure, I'll remember you. You ever had that happen before? Someone said they're going to look out for you, and then they don't. And so the cupbearer's restored to his position. He conveniently forgets about Joseph until two years later. When Pharaoh has some dreams that disturb him, and he brings all of his wise men before him, and none of them can interpret the dreams. Then the cupbearer has this light bulb moment. Oh, I remember two years ago. Two years. Two years have passed by. Joseph's been in prison for another two years. The cupbearer's like, I remember when I was in prison, there was this guy, Joseph, who interpreted some dreams. Pharaoh, maybe he can interpret your dreams. So Joseph goes before Pharaoh, and he says, hey, just so you know, this, this ability that I have, it's not from me, it's from God. But here's what your dreams mean. Here's what's going to happen, Pharaoh. There's going to be seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt. And then there are going to be seven years of famine. So you need to prepare in these seven years of abundance so when the famine comes along, everything is going to be good and people are taken care of. Pharaoh's like, whoa, this is amazing. You told me what my dream meant. Not only am I going to bring you out of prison, I'm going to make you the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Which at that point in time would have been the second most powerful man in all of the known world. So Joseph goes from being sold into slavery to uh, in Potiphar's house, being in prison, and now he's elevated to this, to this point in, in Pharaoh's kingdom. It's a crazy journey. It's a crazy story. But when we look at the two specific incidents of his life, being sold into slavery and then also being in prison for something he didn't do, it brings us to ask a question, especially when we're talking about this idea of the journey that God has for our lives. And it's a challenging question, and it's a question that can maybe bring up some dark things in our past, but it's the question that is also the title of today's message, if you're taking notes, and it's this. What do you do when the journey chooses you. What do you do when the journey chooses you? What do you do when your brothers turn on you and sell you into slavery? What do you do when you end up in prison for something that you didn't even do? What do you do when the journey chooses you? 
that's an interesting question to wrestle with, and it's a difficult one to wrestle with as well if you really think about it. Because if you go back to my message last week, if you missed it, you can go check it on our YouTube channel. How dare you miss church? But anyways, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm totally kidding. We're not legalistic here. We're not like that. But anyways, so in last week's message, I talked about having an adventurous faith and embracing the journey that God has for you and how Abraham went out into the unknown. And some of you were hearing that, and you probably thought, that sounds great, but... Dot, dot, dot. There's something that happened in your past. There's something that somebody did to you. There's something that somebody tried to take from you. And because of that, you're saying to yourself, I'd love to go on this adventurous faith journey, but because of what happened to me, because of the journey that happened to me, I don't know if I can do that. It sounds great, but I just don't know. And this is a powerful question. What do you do when the journey chooses you? Your journey is not the same as Joseph, but I imagine for a number of us, there are some things that have happened to you that have made you wonder before, is there even an adventurous faith journey available to someone like me? This could go back as far back as your childhood. It could have been a situation, maybe you were eight, nine, 10 years old, and your parents separated and you didn't see it coming. And from that, one of your parents became non-existent and you never developed a relationship with them. And you, and you always wondered throughout your life, why did this happen to me? Did I have something to do with this? How, why me? How come I get to go to my friend's house and they have the picture-perfect family, but my family looks like this? Why did this happen to me? It, it could be maybe you were the kid growing up all throughout school that you were constantly mocked and bullied and people try to make light of that because, oh, that you were just a kid then, but you know that that's affected you to this day because now you second-guess every social situation that you step into. Why me? Why did I have to be the weird one? Why did I have to be the outlier? Why did I have to be the different one? What do you do when the journey chooses you? What do you do when you were 15 years old and you were, you were with a coach or a family member, or a religious leader, or somebody in some place of authority, and you thought, I'm with this person, this is a safe place, this is a person that I trust, this is a person that I'm supposed to be able to go to, and they took that position of authority and they used it to manipulate you and abuse you. And you say, why did this have to happen to me? Why me, I didn't ask for this. What do you do when the journey chooses you? Maybe it wasn't in your childhood. Maybe it was later on in life. What do you do when, you, when you've come to a, a spot where, where you thought, oh, I had this marriage and it was, it was built on godly principles and I checked off all the boxes and we were good and everything was going, but then before you know it, you're signing on the dotted line that you gotta end things. And there's a divorce. And you're, I, I, did some wrong, I did some stuff wrong, but I didn't think I did that much. How did we get to this point? And there's, there's, a, there's a hurt between you and that person, and you're thinking, I didn't, I didn't, how did this happen? Why did this journey choose me? How did it get to this place? Maybe you had a lifelong friend or a lifelong family member who you were just super close to, but they then did something that betrayed you, and you felt like they turned on you, and you thought, why did I have to be the one to go through that? Why me? Maybe... Maybe you got to that spot where you finally had the dream job. You worked hard for this. You got the degree. You made the connections. Things were good. You were working hard. Everything was great. Your boss liked you. Your coworkers liked you. But then all of a sudden, one day, you got called into a room and you were told that uh, we're no longer going to be moving forward with you. Why, why me? 
I thought things were fine. What do you do when the journey chooses you? What do you do when, when you keep hearing these messages about embracing your journey and moving forward in faith, but something happened to you that you didn't ask for? How do you move forward? Now, that some of the things that I mentioned and some of the things that, you're, that you might be internally wrestling with, we, we always recommend from this stage, sometimes there's a healing process that needs to occur, and we would encourage counseling and discipleship and mentorship. We, we encourage you to seek those things out and find those things. And so I don't wanna try to play that role today. I don't wanna try to play a role that I'm not qualified to play. But I do want us, by looking at the life of Joseph and asking this question, what do you do when the journey chooses you? I wanna bring us to a place in our hearts and minds to get everyone in here, whether you're in person or online, to see and to understand this, that you still have value in the sight of God. He still has something for you. He has not forgotten you. And when the journey chooses you, there's something, there's a peace that you can find within your heart, and he wants to move you forward in faith into the future that only he has for you. And so let's get into this. What is it about Joseph? Joseph is a really interesting character because when you go throughout the Old Testament, you see many of the characters have a lot of deep flaws and a lot of, a lot of issues. And you're like, oh, they're kind of just like me. They have some problems. But Joseph is this weird archetype where you look at him and he's almost a, a blueprint or a foreshadowing of Christ because you don't see a lot of flaws in the life of Joseph. And so we're gonna take some things as an example from his life of how we can move forward even when we feel like the journey has chosen us. And all three of these things we're gonna take from Joseph life, they all start with the letter R, so it's going to be easy for you to remember, all right? Here we go. The first one is Joseph's response. Joseph's response was vital in this situation. Whatever he was going through, Joseph had a higher response. He knew that God was at work, and he knew that God was doing something. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, and then he was placed in prison for something that he didn't do. Now, I want to focus in on just a moment on this idea of being sold into slavery by his brothers. Look at how the, the author of Genesis records this in Genesis 37. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Joseph fell into the pit long before Chris Pratt ever did on Parks and Rec. I see you guys. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh. On their way to bring them down to Egypt, Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our, can we put that up on the screen? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh, Judah, you're so kind. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Yeah, okay. What's the matter with you? And his brothers listened to him. Nobody said at any point in time, hey, this is probably a bit extreme. This is probably not the best way to, to get back at him for saying that he's, like, what's the matter with these guys? Let's sell him into slavery? What do you do in this moment? Like, if you're Joseph, and maybe you've been in this place before where something's happened in your family, if I'm Joseph, I'm wondering, if I can't trust my family, who can I trust? If I can't trust my brothers, who can I trust? That's a real question. And it's, and it's one thing, it's one thing to be born into darkness. It's another thing to know light, to know prosperity, and then to be in a spot where you feel like you've now been subject to darkness. 
I wonder if there were moments throughout Joseph's life if he would think back on his past life with his father Jacob and he would wonder, was that even real? Was that even a reality? Or was that an imagination or a dream? To, to be betrayed by your brothers of all things? If you can't trust your family, who can I trust? But Joseph's response and we're going to get to this in our second point, which we're not at yet, but we're going to get to this. It, what's so amazing about his response is that we know there's a consistency with him. And no matter where he was, and no matter what was going on around him, he knew who he was, and he knew what God had called him to do. And he knew that the identity that God had placed on his life was far more important than any identity that somebody else could try to place on his life. And Joseph, I'm sure at times, had feelings of abandonment, betrayal, isolation, hurt, pain. But he didn't choose to live in those responses. He chose to live in a response of honoring and following God no matter what happened to him. You see, the reality of the story is this, is that Joseph was a victim and I don't want to downplay that at all. And if the journey has happened to you, you are a victim. I want to affirm that. You are a victim of somebody else's horrible, bad decision. That's a reality. Joseph was a victim. But, but when you come to that spot to recognize I am a victim, what the enemy wants to do then is to take that label. And he wants to convince you that you are now subject to a singular response. That because you're a victim, you're only allowed to have the res a response of bitterness. You're only allowed to have a response of anger. You're only allowed to have a response of hurt. You're only allowed to have a response of pain. And if the enemy can sneak in, because that's what he wants to do, he wants to destroy your life. And he can, if he can sneak in with thoughts and get you to believe, because of this, because of what somebody did to you and took from you, all you can do now is be bitter. All you can do now is be filled with hate. He wants to convince you that you can only only have one singular response. But I thank God that in Christ Jesus, resurrection is true, that new life is true. And when the enemy tries to say, you can only have one response, God pulls you into and calls you into something greater. God still has something for you. And when, and when somebody turns against you and tries to steal the value and the dignity of your life, you don't have to give in to the response of the enemy that leads to isolation and pain and even more hurt. But you can actually live in a higher response a greater response of victory. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that it won't be a process to get there. I'm not saying that it's not gonna take some time. It'll take some time. But thankfully, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, when something happens to us, we don't have to fall subject to the enemy's lie that our life should now be destroyed because somebody tried to take something from us. Don't let somebody take something from you that only God can give you. Don't let the enemy steal your story. Don't let him capitalize on something that someone did to you and get you to think, I have to live this way. No, we have victory in Christ Jesus. Come on, let me hear you guys shout victory this morning. Can I hear it? Let's hear it again. 
victory. I was at a, a prayer meeting yesterday down at the Light Church. Everyone's shouting and yelling and hollering. I was like, we got to bring that to New Story Church. Zach and Nick were there with me. I was like, we got to bring that here. We, we, gotta, we have victory in Christ Jesus. He came out of the grave. And so when, when, you, when the enemy tries to say, you have to say, here, here's the beautiful thing about coming into the victory that Christ has for you, is Christ will then take what happened to you and use the freedom that you're now in to go set others free. The enemy wants to hold you back and say, all you're good for now is bondage. All you're good for now is nothingness. All you're good for now is, is the decision that you made that got you to the place where that person took advantage of you. But, but, but Christ has something more in store for you. And when you have the victory and the freedom that he has for you, he is going to restore and renew your purpose that's always been there. And he wants to use you to bring others into freedom. Joseph's response. Second thing is, builds right on his response is Joseph's resolve. When we look at the character of Joseph, he had clearly predecided beforehand who he was and who God had called him to be, no matter the circumstance. He didn't waver. He, he did not waver. It's quite a great example for us. He, di he did not waver. He wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't one person in one place and another person in another place. And if we were to be honest, we've all been a little bit hypocritical before. Every one of us, including myself, none of us are perfect. But as the old children's church song goes, I don't want to be a hypocrite because they ain't hip with it. That's good, right? That's good. There are a few more of those. I don't want to be a Pharisee because they ain't fair, you see. And I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're sad, you see. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they're sad, you know? They're upset. Uh, but I, anyway, so, well, that's true. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection, so they were sad. So the hypocrite, I, I, it, it was just, <laughs> hypocrites ain't hip with it. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. Joseph was never that. Joseph was consistent. He was the same person, whether it was a good season or a bad season. And the best way for us to come to that spot in our lives is for us to predecide and know who God says we are, no matter the circumstance that we're in. God is still speaking. God is still present. God is still there. And he can work all things for the good. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, don't build your house on sand. Because then when the storm comes, everything's going to fall apart. But when you build your life on the rock who is Christ Jesus, it doesn't matter what comes your way. Because there's stability in him. I'm not saying there won't be confusion. I'm not selling, saying that there won't be some processes you have to go through. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to come out standing because you're built on something that's solid. Look at this. When Joseph was, was serving Potiphar, when things were going well, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Potiphar noticed that the Lord was with Joseph. What are people noticing about me? What are people noticing about you? Potiphar noticed that even in the good seasons, in the bad season when Joseph was in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. 
and go on when, when he ended up under Pharaoh. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, this is crazy. Pharaoh was the most powerful man in all of the world at that time. He was basically worshipped, and he recognized that a higher power was with Joseph. That's how powerful the presence of God was with Joseph. Since God has informed you of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. In the good seasons, in the bad seasons, it was noticeable that God was with Joseph. Joseph had resolved within his heart, I'm just going to trust in God. I don't know what's happening. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't have all the answers, but there's a resolve within me that, that God is with me. And when he's with me, he will see me through. And it was noticeable that God was with him. Joseph didn't get to a good season and say, oh, you know, I don't need that God stuff so much anymore. I'm good. I'm great now. People like me. I'm all good. He didn't get to a bad season and say, God, forget you. I've had enough of you. I'm done with you. How could you let me get here? There was a consistency. He wasn't constantly changing. There was, he was consistent, consistent, consistent. He knew who God was, and he knew what God would do. Consistency is king. When your consistency is built on the rock who is our God. Consistency. And when you have this response that there's a victory available to you no matter what happened to you, when you resolve within your heart that God is with you no matter the circumstance, you'll begin to experience all the different R's. This is an R-rated message. I got some more R's coming your way. Here we go. You'll get to experience, when you resolve in your heart that God is with you, restoration will come. You will be restored to what God has for you. Renewal will come. He will renew your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He will renovate you from within, and he will renovate the things around you and the people around you and use you in such a unique and powerful way that you said, I didn't even see this coming. I went from slavery to being the second most powerful man in all the world. I didn't see this coming, but there was a resolve within him. God was with Joseph. Say it today, God is with me. Say it again, God is with me. God is with you. Good times and bad times. We, we so often get in a pessimistic mindset where death is inevitable. We look at the inevitability of death, the death of our soul, the death of our mind, the death of our heart, the death of life in general. But when you have this experience with Christ, when you've given your life to him, resurrection is what's inevitable. Resurrection is inevitable. New life is inevitable. New hope is inevitable. A new future that only God has for you, that's what's inevitable. Let's stop getting into this place of just being focused on the inevitability of death. Yes, yes, we will all one day die, but if you have the resurrected Savior in your life and you've surrendered to him, there's a resurrection that will come and life is inevitable. Life and light will always have the victory over death and destruction. Always, every single time. Respond from a place of victory. Resolve in your heart who God is. And then lastly, the last R from the life of Joseph, Joseph's responsibility. This one doesn't sound very fun because none of us, I mean, we don't always like being very responsible. But responsibility is so very important because your responsibility is directly tied to the call that God has on your life. Your responsibility is directly called to the purpose 
that God has on your life. The years and years pass by, and it's been 22 years since Joseph's been with his brothers. And Joseph is overseeing everything going on in Egypt uh, with his, and, his, and his brothers come to Egypt from Canaan because it's a time of famine. And Joseph sees them and recognizes them. And he says, he says to himself, like, these are my brothers. And he begins to wonder if he should say something or not. And so he goes and he begins to talk to them. Now, they don't recognize him. Remember, this is a time, a long time ago. There aren't any family videos of Joseph when he was a kid. There aren't any family photos of, hey, remember that photo with Joseph in the coat and all of the rest of us were just, you know, whatever. But there, there are no family photos. There, there are no family videos. They, they don't recognize Joseph because it's been 22 years and he's dressed like an Egyptian. He's poised like an Egyptian. He's unrecognizable. And Joseph sees them and he begins to play some games with them. And he recognizes that one of his brothers did not travel with them. That's his brother, Benjamin. It's Joseph's full brother, Rachel's other, Rachel's other son. And Joseph starts to ask them some questions, gets them to admit that, yeah, they have another brother. So he holds one of the brothers back and says, hey, when you come back, you better bring Benjamin with you. And they're super stressed at this point. Because they're like, Dad, Jacob, I mean, he won't let Benjamin leave. And can you blame Jacob? Look at what happened last time. One of Rachel's sons went out with the boys. Not too good. <laughs> Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead because that's what his brothers told Jacob. Oh, yeah, Joseph died. They covered his coat in blood. So they're, 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 we don't know what we do. So they go back to their dad. Like, Dad, there's this guy in Egypt, and for some reason he's really interested in us. We don't know why. And he wants to see Benjamin. And Jacob's like, no, they can't do We can't let Benjamin go. And anyways, they convince they convince their dad to let Benjamin go back with them to Joseph. And they go to Joseph. Joseph plays some more games with them. We can talk about that at another time. And then Joseph can't have it any, can't take it any longer. And he finally reveals himself to his brothers. Look at this in Genesis 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Joseph was always allowing God to flip the perspective on the responsibility that he had given him. And, and Joseph, when he's in a moment where he can enact vengeance, he has, he has all the power. He has all the authority. He can easily get back to his brothers in this moment. But instead of enacting in vengeance, he enacts forgiveness. He extends forgiveness. Yeah, he's the second most powerful man in the world, but he lost out on 22 years of his life. 22 years with his family. And he still chooses to extend forgiveness. How are we choosing to steward the responsibility that God has given us? The people that he's placed in our lives, the authority that he's given us, are we using it to bring about a reality of new hope and new forgiveness for those around us? Or are we just so getting back and venture? That's not what God's called us to. When we're just so concerned about getting back at people, we're living in the bondage of a singular response. When we choose to forgive, we're set free. 
And they may not always forgive us in return, but when we forgive others, God will begin to set us free to live in the new life that he has for us. And I love this, what Joseph says to his brothers. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth. He sent me here to, to make a place for you. Yeah, you guys who sold me into slavery. He sent me here to make a place for you and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. This is great. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here. Some of you need to hear this today because the journey chose you and somebody did something to you. And now because of that, either that person wants you to think that they have authority over you or the enemy wants you to think that that situation has authority over you. And you got to look that thing in the face today just like Joseph did and said, hey, you thought you had ownership over me. You thought you sent me here. You thought that you, you, you had the authority in my life. You, you thought that you could hold that over me. No, guess what? It wasn't you. I'm choosing to go with what God has for me instead. And so whatever you are trying to keep over me to hold me back and hold me down, I'm not having it. I'm not letting you destroy my life. In the name of Christ Jesus, I have been set free and is in the words of Joseph, but God God has something. God has authority over that. God is to, to take the perspective of Joseph and say, I am not letting that hold me back any longer. It's done. You don't have it. You thought, you thought, hey, when you guys sold me to slavery, you thought you had something over me. You never did because my life was always in God's hands. It was never in yours. And that someone, something, whatever it is that's tried to hold you back, or the enemy's tried to use that situation to make you think that you are without value, to make you think that you are without purpose, to make you think that you are without responsibility and you can never be renewed, don't believe it. Because God, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph said, God sent me here. And what you tried to do to destroy my life, God ended up using it to bring deliverance. Joseph never allowed his journey to own him or have authority over him. He never, even though it happened to him, he never allowed it to own him or have authority over him. And Christ Jesus wants to set you free today as well. There still might be pain. There still might be hurt. All of those things are real. But he wants to set you free to know that you are his. You are his child and he has something for you. And there's a divine responsibility and a divine call that has been placed on your life. But if, if the enemy can creep in and make you think that you don't have any responsibility, when you start to believe that you don't have responsibility, that's the first step to losing a will to live. That's the first step to that. Because you think, I don't have anything to do. I have no value. I am no good. I can't do anything. And what's so remarkable about the perspective of Joseph is in the good times, he said, I still have responsibility. I have to preserve life. I have to work. He didn't say, oh, it's, it's a good time now, time to sit back, relax, eat some grapes, and do whatever I want and boss people around. That's why I, I know I'm 27, and some people might be frustrated for me for this. This is why I'm very anti the idea of, oh, I can't wait to retire one day so I can sit around and watch Netflix and do nothing. No. Like, you can retire, that's fine, but outside, once you've done that, there's something that God has for you. There's somewhere he wants you to serve. There's someone he wants you to serve. There's a responsibility that he has for you. And as soon as you allow the enemy to steal that responsibility from you, or you believe the lie that, oh, I don't have anything to do now, 
that's when he'll start to creep in and take away the purpose of your life. And then even in the bad seasons, when Joseph was in prison, he said, you know what, I, I gotta serve these people here. I have responsibility. The enemy wants to take you in your darkest moments and get you to believe that you are without value, that you are without purpose, and that you could never possibly make a contribution because of what somebody else did to you. And God says, you're mine. And I still have a great responsibility. I still have a great call in store for you. And Joseph's brothers get really paranoid after their father, Jacob, dies. And they think to themselves, is he gonna kill us now because dad's gone? So they go to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him. I love that. His dream was right. They bowed before him. They fell before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. I have responsibility. I have responsibility. I'm not done. God's never done with you. God's always got something for you. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. God, I believe, has a responsibility for each and every one of you. He has a call for every one of you. He has life in store for every one of you, whether you're online or in person. And don't allow the enemy to steal your story. Don't allow him to take the life, or don't allow someone or something else to take the life from you that only God can give you. So here, here's, here's how we'll, we'll wrap this up today. Whatever happens... Whatever you, go for, whatever you go through, whatever comes your way, whenever the journey tries to choose you, as you walk through that process of healing and restoration and hope and freedom, don't be afraid to look that thing in the face and, and respond from a place of victory. Not today, Satan. Not today. Respond from a place of victory. We have victory in the cross of Christ Jesus. Resurrection is inevitable. Resolve in your heart to know God in every season. Pre-decide to say, God is with me wherever I end up. It could be a sent place by him. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it, but he's gonna work something from this because as Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God will turn it for good. And responsibility is your call to live. It's your call to live. Live into the responsibility that God has for you. Don't let anybody let you believe the lie that that has been stolen from you. You have value in the name of Jesus. Respond from a place of victory. What do you do when the journey chooses you? What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Respond from victory. Resolve to know God and recognize that the responsibility he's given you is your call to live. There's freedom and purpose and a new story available to each and every one of you. And in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. We are going to forget what lies behind and look forward to what lies ahead in Christ. The power of his Holy Spirit is present with those who've called upon Jesus and we are a temple of his spirit and wherever we go, God goes and he has something for you. Don't believe otherwise. Journey into that place. Journey into that greater concern beyond yourself to bring the victory that you've experienced in Christ to those around you.
and live in the inevitability of resurrection. If you would, and you're online in person, please bow your heads and join me in prayer in this moment. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for what you've done for us. That you came to this earth and you gave your life so that we could have life. And I pray today, Jesus, that we would not be held in bondage to the singular response that the enemy wants us to believe. He wants us to believe that our life is without purpose. He wants us to believe it's without value. But you declared value on our lives by going to the cross for us in our place and saying, I love you so much and I'm gonna give my life for you. Thank you for that. Jesus, we praise you for the resurrection. We thank you for that new life that you've given us. And we pray today, Jesus, people would be set free, that people would find freedom in you, Christ. When we call upon your name, we know that you hear us. I know this might be uncomfortable for, for some people in here, but everyone heads down, eyes closed, nobody's looking around. Some of, you, some of you may not even believe in God, you may be new to this whole thing, and, and we're just so thankful that you're here with us, or you might be saying, I don't really know if God can set me free. You, you might be all over the place, but wherever you're at, Maybe you're like all charged up and ready to go now. I don't know where you're at. Would everyone in here, just on the count of three, just say it loudly. Once again, no one looking around. Just, just declare and call upon his name. Say, God set me free. You may not even, you may, I don't even need to be set free. That's okay. Do it for the people here who need it today. The count of three. One, two, three. God set me free. Come on, let's do that again. Let's put that in. One, two, three. God set me free. We will be set free, set free, set free in you today, Jesus.